regarding the like aspect of like you being an imam, what was the first thing that you were looking forward to? Like as soon as you finished like studying up, like what were you expecting from becoming an imam? Listen, man, I'm not your typical imam, and I'll be honest with you. Right? So the, this idea of imam, um, I wasn't looking forward to that. Right? That's not something that uh that really was appealing to me, you know, from what I've seen and from what I experienced. That that idea of the of imam, that idea that 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 that's presented to many people of the imam, that wasn't something that I was looking to kind of achieve. Uh, but in reality, mine was I just wanted to teach. Right. I wanted to focus on education. I wanted to focus on teaching. You know, I'm not a big uh, a fan of, you know, dealing with, you know, counseling or at least, you know, marital counseling or marital issues and, you know, trying to, you know, rectify those types of problems. But for me, it was all about the youth from day one. Right. So it was all about, you know, hit the ground running with the youth. You know, I had built, a, you know, a, you know, a platform throughout the summer. So when I came back, it was just kind of, it was, it was natural, you know. So, you know, just teaching, mentoring, counseling the youth. That is what I really wanted to focus my time. I find that every organization, instead of having a man who does everything, they need to have men who focus on specific things. And and you'll find a lot more productivity within the organization that way, right? Rather than having one imam who's responsible for the youth and one imam who's responsible, you know, that he's responsible for the youth and he's responsible for the Quran, he's responsible for the khutbah, he's responsible for the salah, he's responsible for the janazah, he's responsible for the counseling, he's responsible for this, that, and the third. Poor guy. Like, poor guy. You stretch the guy thin. And every place that he tries to put effort you know, is minimal. Why? Because he's stretched out. So, alhamdulillah, I was given an opportunity to say, you know what? Focus on the youth. And that was the only opportunity, that was the only opportunity I wanted. Right? So, it was just about the youth. It was about being a big brother. You know, it was about being there for the youth. I grew up here. I understand what you're going through. I don't expect you to, res you know, to your, your problems to resonate with the problems of a, you know, of, of a 60 year old man who came back from, you know, uh, halfway across the world who's coming here now and lecturing you. I don't expect you to feel comfortable with that individual. I don't expect you to feel comfortable with that individual. No, I don't. Right. But when you have somebody who, you know, who speaks your language, who's been through what you've been through, then yeah, you can, you can open up. Right. So that was essentially what I was looking forward to. Uh, I see. While on the topic of youth, what experiences did you gain from like teaching the youth? Like, Man. what do you believe is, why do you believe that youth would be the most important? Mm. And what do you think is the challenges and opportunities that youth have? Oh, that's loaded. You loaded that question, bro. <laughs> Wallahi, the youth have taught me more than I have taught them. Wallahi, oh, the youth have taught me more than I have taught them. And they have brought more benefit to me than I have brought benefit to them. And Allah is my witness. And I was a youth teaching youth. You have to understand that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like somebody will come in and is like, uh, who's uh, running the show here? They say, this guy. Oh. This guy's a youth. What are you talking about? But 
that's what allowed me to grow. You know, subhanAllah, the statement of the Prophet wasallam, when he says it was the youth that supported me at the beginning stage of my da'wah and it was the elders of the community who neglected me and caused harm. That statement resonates with me more than any other statement I heard from the Prophet Right? The youth, you know, it's about go and empower the, the youth. They empowered me. Right? Go and teach it. The, the youth, they taught me. Go bring the youth to the masjid. The, the youth are bringing me to the masjid now. Ali, wait, we need you in the masjid. Come on, let's go. The, they're bringing me to the masjid. Right? So, you know, they always say this statement of the youth are our future. Yeah, what are you talking about, man? The youth is now. Like now, it's not the future. They're, they're the present. Right? So, you know, alhamdulillah, you know, they've allowed me to really, uh, you know, also stay young. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. My wife said, you're so immature. I say, well, I hang out with kids all day. What do you expect? <laughs> you know um, what I mean? I hang out with kids all day, you know? Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. While being youth coordinator or like a teacher to the youth, what do you feel... It, what do you feel about the title of that? Like being a teacher to the youth, what do you feel should, what type of meaning should it have? Like what weight do you believe it should have? You know, I'll, I'll tell you something. There's a beautiful statement of the Salaf. They used to say this. Okay. Now listen to this very carefully. Right. They used to say, لو عالم الملوك ما نحن فيه من الخير والنعمة if the kings knew what contentment and happiness we carried and fulfillment we carried in our hearts, they would have fought us in order to take it from us. Nowadays, you have people who think, oh, you know, deal with the youth. He deals with the youth. It's, it's, uh, anyone can do it. Right, just get a. Get a they're sixteen years old. Find someone who's seventeen and let them take care of them. Inshallah, they'll be okay. Right? <laughs> if the people knew, right? You can quote this on me, right? If the people knew the happiness, contentment, and fulfillment that teaching the youth offers to an individual, they would do anything in their power to take that position from you. But alhamdulillah, nobody's knocking at the door. <laughs> Why? Why? Because it requires something very unique. It requires something very unique. It doesn't require being up. It requires being down. Grassroots. You know, in the field. You understand? And a lot of the things that you encounter with the youth, you take home with you. Right? This, these things don't leave you. These things you don't forget, especially in the day and age that we're living in. You know, some of the stories and some of the issues and some of the things that some of our youth are going through, they will sh send shivers throughout your body. Hair raising stories and situations that are presented to you that you just can't, you just can't kick. It's there. And you got to deal with it and you got to help them deal with it. But at the end of the day, 
when you see a kid who went through something four or five years ago and you see where they're at now and you see how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, saw them through that and knowing that you were able to be a part of that, there's nothing more better than that. Alhamdulillah. Zaid, we can't hear you. Allah yaradha alayk ya Zaid. So what are some of the common problems you face with the youth? What are the questions you get? Yeah. Uh, many of the issues that um, we currently face with the youth revolve around doubt or misconceptions of the religion. Right? A lot of issues that our youth are facing are number one because they doubt in Islam or parts or uh, an issue concerning the religion, or they have a misunderstanding of that issue. Okay? And that's like a domino effect, because it leads to more issues. But, you know, uh, issues on, uh, you know, we're talking about, you know, the, the idea is, does God exist? That is a huge issue that we're currently facing. Does God actually exist? And if he does exist, then why does he allow everything to happen the way he's allowing things to happen? Why does he do these things? This idea that it's God who's doing it. Um, the idea of sexuality now is a big issue. Um, even, you know, subhanAllah, you get issues on just even like entertainment. Like is TikTok, is Facebook, is Instagram is anime now. It's like, can I, you know, can I watch this? It is haram. Is it halal? I'm like, bro, I got to catch up. Hold on. Man. We didn't have this at my time. I got to do my research and get back to you. You know what I mean? So like I say, these, these issues are always evolving, right? But, you know, for the most part, it, these issues, they revolve around um, doubt, uh, misconception of the religion, and finally, uh, substance abuse. Substance abuse, drugs, and uh, and and other types of uh, illegal substances, marijuana, heavy drugs, uh, things of that sort. Zaid, Allah hadik Zaid. How are these usually addressed? Like, what is the best method? Empathy, empathy. They're addressed with empathy, not with judgment. The youth have been judged too much. They're judged by their parents. They're judged by their teachers. They're judged by their peers. The last thing they need is to go to the masjid and be judged by the imam. Right? For me, I understand a lot of what the youth are going through. I understand. And I can relate. I can, you know, I understand why you're doing this. I understand why you're doing this. But just because I understand it doesn't mean I agree. Right? That has to be clear. But when somebody truly believes that you understand where they're coming from, they're willing to open up. They're willing to work with you. But if they feel that you're just there uh, to judge them, pass judgment upon them, then, you know, it's going to be probably just a one-time uh, counseling session. And that's about it. And you'll never see them again. Right? So I think empathy, just really trying to understand, put yourselves in their position without judging them. I think that's the best way to deal with any issue, any initial issue that you have uh, presented to you, uh, you know, from the youth. And then with these issues, do you think they mainly stem from these Muslim youth growing up in a non-Muslim environment or from social media, the internet, or 
perhaps um, parents or what, what what would you put them like where would you say the problem stems from mainly well uh, we are a product of our environment right we are a product of our environment you know the hadith of the prophet sallam of the of the, the the man who sells the musk and 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 the blacksmith right he's either going to give you some or you're going to leave his present smelling good or if you go to the blacksmith he's either going to burn you or you end up smelling like smoke so environment has an effect on you no matter what right um and now with like social media and globalization you know i remember when i was a kid it's like oh alhamdulillah my son is in his room i know he's he's safe now it's like why are you in your room don't close the door because you got your phone you know you understand what i'm saying right so times have changed right and now you can be at home but you can still not be at home if you know what i mean you know and you can do anything it's at literally at your fingertips literally it's at your fingertips and i truly believe that having that much power and ability to control what you see and what you consume will ultimately affect you will ultimately affect any person right so that's the issue right how we're using what we have um around us how you know how we use uh um you know what allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is testing us with and how we consume it so on, on this point with the times changing social media the internet um becoming increasingly used by the youth do you think our style of dawah the way we approach youth the way we, we approach issues needs to change and yeah, if so to what extent and and how listen man people need to be real you understand what i'm saying like you could have no knowledge in the world a little bit of knowledge but if you're real with the people they'll listen they'll listen you know they say this guy he's saying something i'd ever like i heard it before but i didn't hear it before like i heard it but i didn't hear it like this that it's no longer just okay you know qala nabiyyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam man qala la ilaha illa allah dakhala aljanna brothers and sisters say la ilaha illa allah you'll go to jannah like that that's true but like that's not doing anything for me you understand what i'm saying like that's not doing anything for me right and i think that's the issue is that we have to address the issues at hand do you even believe in allah first like when i teach like i teach in schools right i teach in the masjid i teach in the youth center and i teach in the schools and when i teach in the schools i teach every single kid like he's a non muslim you understand Yeah. You teach every kid like they're not I teach them as if they haven't accepted Islam that I'm there in order to give them the guidance the irshad that they need in order to accept Islam. I'm giving da'wah to a non-Muslim because we have this idea that these kids are already Muslims and they've accepted Islam when in reality they know nothing. You understand what I'm saying? So yeah. it's like we've skipped like four or five steps. It, 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 we have to move back. We have to go all the way to the beginning. and we have to start from scratch and then we have to move forward we cannot just a, a, you know have this expectation that the kids they know they accepted and we're just building on what they already have they have nothing they have nothing 
So what does that entail, entail with the way parents should view um, the raising up or tarbiya of their kids or the way we set up our institutions? As in, do we need to, like, um, what do you think of the current model where we're sending kids to public school five days a week and then on the weekends they're getting the, the, those two hours of Quranic studies and, and so on? Yeah. Well, you know what? Everything starts at home. That's the first thing, right? And and as a teacher, you'll usually be able to recognize how a child is being taught at home by how they behave, how they act, and how they interact with you in the classroom, okay? And, and again, not all uh, families are the same in terms of what they want for the child. Some families, they want their child to be like the next Imam Bukhari. Right, they have twins. They want Bukhari and Muslim, mashallah, tabarakallah. Right? Some are like, listen, I just want my kid to know a little bit of Arabic. I want them to know about Islam. I want them to have, a, you know, be able to identify as a Muslim. And alhamdulillah, that's good enough for me. So again, you know, uh, you know, expectations uh, may be uh, different. But in terms of the school. As I mentioned, we have to start from scratch, right? Institutes, uh, schools, they need to start teaching kids as the same way they teach non-Muslims, right? They need to take shahada, these kids, right? They need to take shahada on their own, not just because their name is Muhammad or their name is Khadija or their name is Asma, whatever, right? You need to, we need to get these kids to make that shahada. And it starts from, you know, preschool, starts from kindergarten, grade one, and all the way up, right? Um, and it's not about overburdening them with the knowledge and with Islam and shoving it down their throat. Um, it's just about trying to present an organic approach towards the religion. It has to be natural. And this goes for teachers and parents. That in order to teach your kids, practice what you preach. Practice what you preach. Right? If I have kids at school and I say, pray on time, or a parent has a kid at home and say, pray on time. And then the, the kid looks at the parent or the teacher and says, this guy doesn't even pray. Who's he telling me to pray on time? You don't even pray. He's like, I want good for you. So if you want good for me, you should have good, want good for yourself as well. So you pray and I'll pray. We'll pray together. Jama'ah, alhamdulillah. You understand what I'm saying? So it all starts at home. It all starts in the classroom. It all starts with a teacher or a parent leading by example and under, you know, understanding that these kids need to realize Islam on their own, you know, on their own. That, that they, that, that just because you're a Muslim, you name the kid Muhammad, he's not going to be saved from Jahannam. <laughs> you know, you got to literally, it's, it's, it's called tarbiyah, bro. If you want me just to present it to you in one word, it's tarbiya, right? That's what we need. We need tarbiya, right? So if, if we were to take this tarbiya as well in a more general sense with regards to what the environment does. So say we have good parents, they're taking, kids, uh, they're taking care of their children in the best way possible. What else should those parents strive to do? As in nowadays... Um, like Calgary, for instance, is a very big city. Muslims are spread out throughout the entire city. So perhaps some families, um, they can't go to the masjid every week even. Or like, um, 
or per, perhaps they struggle to go to the masjid a lot, or perhaps they're sending their kids to public school. They're unable to afford going to Islamic school, stuff like that. Yeah. So how would you deal with these issues? Yeah, so alhamdulillah, you know, there's always a silver lining when it comes to uh, uh, COVID, right? And I truly believe that from the silver lining with COVID was the uh, ability to start teaching online. And uh, I actually got a lot more busier than I did, uh, you know, I got a lot more busier post-COVID than pre-COVID. Like when it comes to the classes, uh, the opportunities to teach, it was, there were some days where it just didn't stop. It just didn't stop because there was such a demand, right? Of, 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 of wanting to learn. And people were accepting of learning online now. Why? Because they were forced to, right? And now people are, you know, becoming a little bit more comfortable with learning online or distance learning, right? They're okay with that. So, you know, you know, with the masjid that I work with, this is something we're offering for the youth on a daily, right? Whether it be young adults, whether it be young boys, whether it be young girls, uh, we're offering classes every single week, right? And people are showing up, right? It's not a matter of two or three or four or five people. We're talking about 50, 60, 70 people every week, not just the one time, every week, consistent. And that's more than you would see when you're having, a, you know, uh, in the masjid. Why? Because now you have like, it's, 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 it's easier for parents to kind of, it's no longer getting in the car and driving a half an hour, but it's, you know, posting your kid up in his room, putting the computer in front of them and letting them listen to a lecture for an hour. Right. So I would, you know, online, this whole internet, you know, you even have, you know, YouTube now sit down as a family and watch a video, you know, uh, you know, subhanAllah, even me, you know, you know, these two kids, Omar and Hannah, if you have a little uh, brother or sister, this Omar and Hannah, you know, TV cartoon for kids, la ilaha illallah, man, this stuff is probably teaching more people Islam than any imam or any sheikh. I'm telling you, these cartoons, the parents are probably learning in the background, you know, just listening while their kids are posted up in front of the TV, what these things are teaching the kids. And it, and it resonates with the kids. Find something that works, right? It's not about your kid memorizing the Quran at the age of eight, right? But it's about your kid being introduced to the religion and, you know, having their identity slowly develop as they grow, right? So I think now more than ever, you know, if you have the issue of not going to the masjid or you're not comfortable going to the masjid or, you know, the programs are not as much as they used to be, hey, you know what? That's fine. Blended learning is good. You want to go in, go in. You want to go online? you know, you'll be able to find a lecture online very easily. And then in terms of Muslim youth in the masjid, if you were to design a masjid to be the most ideal for Muslim youth, what would it look like? We did, alhamdulillah. I truly believe that we did. Uh, at the Islamic Information Society, uh, Calgary, the IAC, I think we did. Um, the only thing that's missing within SF is a basketball court. Uh, <laughs> it's a gymnasium. Um, but alhamdulillah, uh, you know, we're working on, with the assistance of some great brothers, mashallah, we're working on a uh, outdoor basketball uh, a court that's uh, almost finished, alhamdulillah. Um, so yeah, we did, you know, Al-Kahf Youth Center, uh, alhamdulillah, this is something that uh, I envisioned as a student and made dua for when I was a student in Medina, as I was you know, making tawaf around the Kaaba and walking between Safa and Marwa. I asked Allah to allow me to be a part of an effort 
that allows us to create something for the youth. And I truly believe we were able to establish that at Al-Kahf Youth Center, where you have, you know, unlike no other, there's there's no other place, you know, in the city or any place that I've seen like it in terms of how it is catered to the youth. You know, you're talking about uh, the space, you're talking about what is in the space, you're talking about the events that take place in the space. Um, alhamdulillah, you know, you know, all of this comes from Allah Azza wa Jal, and we thank Allah for His blessings and His immense mercy upon us. But uh, Alhamdulillah, we 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 were able to at least see it, vision it. You know, we were had we had a vision, and Allah allowed us and gave us the tawfiq and gave us the ability and the responsibility to kind of uh, manifest that. Yeah, I mean, that's all from Allah. But Alhamdulillah, at least we were able to have that vision, right? And and and, and by the grace of Allah be able to achieve what we achieve and inshallah we can achieve more because there's always need for more there's no one institute that's going to uh, 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 rectify the issues of our community this takes a you know like they say it takes a, a village to raise one child you understand what I'm saying so but alhamdulillah you know when we talk about TVs playstations games um, just the facility is top notch alhamdulillah Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, right? So, you know, slowly things are opening up and people are coming back to the masajid. You know, we're having a few programs taking place in the masajid, Alhamdulillah. Um, and inshallah, we get back to where we were uh, uh, pre-COVID. So, Sheikh Ali, would it be fair to say you're very optimistic about what the future holds? In oh, the yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, but the thing is, we need human resources. It's not about physical resources, right? We need human resources. We need people to make the change. Uh, it doesn't matter how beautiful a masjid or a center is. It really doesn't, right? It matters about who is in those places. You know, the people in those institutes, the, peoples, the people within the community. You know, we need you know, inna Allah la yughayru ma bi qawmin hatta yughayru ma bi anfusihim. We need people who are looking for change from within first, and those are the people that we believe are going to be able to change. You know what is going on in our community, what is going on in our society. That's the most important thing. And as long as we have people who are working towards that, and and guys, this 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 uh, this effort right here is a part of that. You understand what I'm saying? That's why, like, I usually, I'm not quick to jump on invitations to speak. Really, I'm not, right? We all have things that we're responsible for, right? But when, when you initially reached out, I said, absolutely. And I gave you any time because it was it took precedent, because it was important. Regarding youth, what do you say would be like, Good. Like, what should be what should be the priorities for upcoming Muslim youth who truly want to like contribute positively to like Muslim community and truly like be a leader for Muslims all around? You know, what exactly do you think would be top priorities for them? Yeah, exactly. You know, um, I had a brother who came up to me. May Allah bless him. He said, "I want to go out and learn the Deen." I said, okay. And then I said, why? Because this is a huge question. 
when you ask someone, when somebody says, I want to go out and study. Why? And uh, mashallah, the brother's heart is pure. May Allah bless him. But he says, I want to change the community. And I said, brother, that's the wrong answer. That's the wrong answer. He says, what do you mean? I say, you will not be able to change the community unless you're going out to change yourself first. Right? Just recently, he reached out to me and he said, Alhamdulillah, I got accepted into a program. I'm going to be going out and traveling abroad. But now I understand what you said. Right? Now it really resonates with me. It's not about the community. It's about me. How can I save someone from drowning if I don't know how to swim myself? So knowledge, knowledge, knowledge of Islam and knowledge of yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Learning who you are, identity, who am I, right? What do I believe in? What makes me, me? These are questions that we need to ask ourselves. And number two, learning about the deen. Because the deen is nur. It's light. And it's that light that's going to guide us in the right direction. Uh, so this kind of draws back to you being in Medina. Would you say, would it be fair to say for you that the environment in Medina helped you or in a way contributed to you being closer to Allah in a sense? Maybe, maybe not in the way that you think or that you would expect. Mm. Um, let's get something straight. The haram is the haram. Mm. When you're in the haram, you're close to Allah. Like you can't resist it. You're, when you're in the presence of the Prophet Sallallahu when you're in the stomping ground of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, when you're making tawaf around the Kaaba that Ibrahim built, you're connected to Allah. But you're not there 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Dunya is dunya. Mm. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And sometimes people will be like, your iman must be so strong when you're in Medina. You know what's strange is that I would tell them, sometimes, brother, I'm here on vacation, but I feel like my iman might be stronger here than it is in Medina. I say, why? He says, why? I say, brother, wallahi, sometimes when I pray on the side of the road, because the time of salah came in, and I see people driving by and people looking at me and people walking by and talking. That gives me more iman than praying in the first row in the Prophet's masjid. Uh, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's, it's about how you deal with it. Right? Mm. You, it's, just, it's like, oh, well, I can't be a practicing Muslim in this environment and have my iman and yeah, mm. just, just, just do what you should do. And and by default, you will feel, you know, uh, you know, Iman because of being, because of being a stranger, because of doing strange things, saying strange things, going strange places, you know, you, you'll feel the Iman, mm. right? But when you're in Medina, you don't feel like a stranger. Uh, it's like everybody's, everybody's doing the same thing. True, true. You know, so, it's about how you understand. It's about uh, just about you know just uh, how you look at things, how you view things, right? Mm. Oh, of course. So regarding that, 
what do you think would be a way for Muslims here in Calgary? How would we be able to create like environment for ourselves where everything here is kind of just really focused on the dunya and just like worldly matters like health and all that? Mm-hmm. How would we be able to gain baraka in our lives without having without getting too distracted with like the dunya and all that? Yeah, I think uh, I think the company that you surround yourself is very important. You know, one thing I learned is that it's not about how many people you know. It's not about how many friends you have. But if you can really, you know, stay grounded and connected with a couple of brothers, just like you guys are doing, that's going to take you to another level. You know, we learn in Surah Al-Kahf, and this was one of the reasons behind the naming of this center, sort of uh, the the Kahf Youth Center, mm. uh, is that we found that the environment Allah told them to change their environment. That's what Allah did. Fa'u ila al-Kahfi, go to the Kahf, change your environment, stick with the people who are like you, and go to the environment, and you'll be saved. Right. So it's just that idea going, keeping in a good, you know, keeping yourself in a good environment, surrounding yourself around good people. And it's not about being around a lot of people, but it's about being around similar people. Right. And I think that if, if we can change our environment and keep ourselves surrounded with good people, that's going to have a certainly positive effect on our lives and on our iman and on our faith. So, uh, Sheikh Ali Nasser, to sort of wrap up this question and, and put everything together. And I think this question will be like very, very important. What's the one tool, the one secret, the one key with which we can, um, we can open all the doors with regards to our worldly affairs, our akhirah affairs? What's one thing we can hold on to? And if we hold on to just this one thing, then inshallah we're set for, for the rest of our dunya and akhirah. Good. Ikhlas istighfar. That's it. Ikhlas and istighfar, being sincere with Allah, being honest, open, true to Allah Azza wa Jal. He knows you better than you know yourself. He wants to see you succeed. There's no relationship that will flourish unless it is sincere. And istighfar is there because kullibna Adam khatta wa khayl khatta'in at-tawwabu. That's just because it's our nature. So how do we counter that sinning, that nature of sinning? We counter it with what? Istighfar. And istighfar will only be made if we're mukhlis, if we're sincere. So regardless of what people are going through in their lives, regardless of how distant a person may feel from their religion, these two eyes, these two eyes, ikhlas, and istighfar, those two eyes, alhamdulillah, they'll allow them to see what they need to see, inshallah ta'ala. Jazakallah khair. Um, so inshallah, if, if you have any final comments, we can take those, or as you wish, uh, Sheikh Ali. You know, I just want to uh, congratulate you guys on uh, uh, beginning this uh, podcast. 
and you know taking the time out of your guys i know what it is to be a university student it's not easy uh but uh uh i i i i am here to support you any way that i can uh continue doing what you're doing even if it's only one view even if it's only one view because at the end of the day only one view matters it's only one view that matters and that view you're not going to see it on your screen you're not going to see it in your notification but that view the one who's watching that really matters you'll see it on the day of judgment inshallah ta'ala so just do what you do thanks a lot for joining us on this episode it was a real pleasure hosting you and we ask Allah to continue to bless you in all your work and affairs Amen. subhanak allahumma wa bihamdik nashhadu an la ilaha illa ant nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilik until next time assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh